on this episode of AV Week, the lasting impact of a virtual Infocom. LG gets into the cinema display business and how museums can leverage AV to create safe, exceptional experiences. All that and more, next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 462, recorded Friday, June 26, 2020. AV tells story. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by QSC, who invites you to go native with the QSIS audio, video, and control ecosystem. And by Vadio, makers of the new NDI professional broadcast camera, the RoboShot 30E NDI, with simultaneous HDMI and full new tech NDI streaming. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week, first and foremost, the uh, he is known as an industry pundit. His name is Mr. Brad Grimes. You know him and love him. How are you, sir? Good, Tim. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Uh, from the far west coast, which doesn't have any clue what they're doing with COVID-19, USC's very own Mr. Joe Way. Hey, hey thanks so much, Tim, for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, and a young man that I just got the pleasure of meeting today for the first time, uh, sort of virtually, uh, Eugene Ababio from Art Media. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Tim, for having me today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, first story comes to us from AV Network and our buddy Cindy Davis, who is still editing uh, my stuff, at least on Twitter, if you follow her or me on Twitter. Uh, the Annenberg Space for Photography recently upgraded their Experience Center with QSIS Core, the Samsung Wall Micro LED technology. Uh, that replaced a 13-foot rear projection glass screen just real quickly i have a soft spot in my heart for for rear projection glass screens i just think they're sexy just personal right cindy in her reporting and and talking with the folks at, at this at this facility they thought it looked made it made their their images look flat now a place that is known for you know uh photography and for for uh, video and for motion pictures and stuff like that. I we can we can d- agree to disagree on that. Um, but what I want to do here is, is talk about this this move for that museums and other spaces like it, right? Whether it's uh, it's the uh, um, the Air and Space Museum, it's uh, the Smithsonian, or it's, it's this Annenberg place. Joe, I'm going to start with you on this. What are museums doing, or what can museums doing currently? And, uh, and other spaces like it to to enhance the experience uh, when it comes to you know whether it's it's micro LED like the Samsung, it's immersive audio, it's something like maybe uh, the Dolby Atmos system, which if you haven't experienced it, it's a complete surround sound system, including you know above your head and behind you. What what can museums do to bring people back in after this crisis is over? Yeah, I definitely think it's a, a yes and on all of those. And it's interesting because you know, we have two buildings on campus with the name Annenberg. So this is a very, uh, a very good article for us. Um, and, uh, and the thing is, is they're actually leading buildings in creating an experience when you show up, right? Um, when, we, when we do want to go out and we do want to come back, we need to have a little extra um, I don't want to keep saying experience, but you do. I mean, I think of places like the Artec House in New York, where everything is fully immersive, where the video continues around you, where when you 
actually show up that your device can be can become your additional experience in with the room that you can get your information that way that you can be able to get the audio of whatever is going on the days of just a basic you know here's the painting here's a picture of whatever it is we did are going to be gone yeah. and they have to be and i and i completely agree with you with the the projection too i mean that's that's classic stuff but um but I think that when you have our new generation, if you're not actually being able to take that information and give it to them and let them absorb it in the way they want to, whether it be with their device or their own perception and, and in multi, whether visual, sound, everything, you're not going to pull the numbers. People are just not going to come back. Yeah, Brad, that, Joe makes a good point about the, this next generation coming up. Hey, yo, my, my kids, I think my kids are officially Zoomers, uh, or maybe they might be a, a generation beyond that. Uh, these are folks who, who grew up with, with cell phones and, and you know, mobile technology. This is the generation, a lot of smart people, smarter than me, have said, that will really grasp the augmented reality and the virtual reality even more so than, than you know, Gen Xers or, or Millennials did. Is that what, what Joe's talking about? Where we're making sure that not only safety-wise, it's our device, right? But the beauty of having a mobile technology and always with you is the fact that that automatically lends itself to AR and VR. Is this where we see that technology kind of heading next for maybe its next frontier? Yeah, that and so many other things. I mean, AV is like the greatest gift to the museum industry. I mean, the, a couple of years ago, museums were growing at a at a healthy clip. I mean, you would get hundreds of new museums opening all the time. And think about it. We're not always talking about big art museums. There are museums for a lot of different things. Every sports team has a museum now at their venue. Museums are everywhere because AV can tell stories. I mean, think of what's in museums. You see artifacts, you see, uh, you know, a suit of armor or something like that. Um, AV can tell the story about that. And so that's why a lot of, uh, you know, museums were implementing them. Now, you know, I say this, you know, assuming that everything's going to go back to, well, not normal, but we're, we're going to get back to museums. And unfortunately, museums are in a place right now where um, it's tough to get people in there. But, you know, these types of things, augmented reality, audiovisual technology are, um, you know, it's a renaissance for museums because it really lets them tell the stories of things that might not otherwise be telling a story on their own. And um, so it's a, I think it's a huge market for AV and I hope it comes back as strong as it was before this all started. Eugene, what other technologies are we not seeing? I mean, I, I mentioned the, the, the AR, VR, you know, Joe did as well, but what other technologies are we, are we maybe missing that museums and other spaces like that can leverage to really kind of get people back, but also make the experience a little bit more exceptional? Well, in truth, that question is uh, is for uh, the younger generation. I think uh, a lot of us who are now, I might look young, but uh, I've been, uh, you know, in AD since uh, the early uh, uh, mid '90s. Uh, so I've seen a lot, uh, you know, in terms of uh, technological advancement through the years. But I think that question really is for the young folks because, in truth, uh, we've been spending a lot of times indoors. We've been watching TV, streaming. My daughter here watches YouTube uh, the entire day. Right. So she's essentially inundated with a lot of technology, a lot of good quality video. Right. That unfortunately, uh, you know, these kids get to see within their homes and sometimes not be able to see within their schools. Um, so I think that question really is for the upcoming generation. And, and in truth, uh, we, we were talking about rear projection screen. 
rear projection screen, as great as it is, is an old technology, right? Uh, and um, I'm really excited about what's really going to come out of this uh, COVID-19, right? Uh, a lot of people have been spending a lot of time at home. Now, a long time ago, I, I uh, attempted to, de to develop this uh, streaming appliance for education and attempts to bring education online, right? And, and away from the, you know, uh, uh, I, I guess this was an NYU project a long time ago when they wanted to bring education out of the classrooms and into into the online space using, unfortunately, Polycom as their technology. And that didn't quite work out well. Maybe there are other technologies out there that maybe they skipped out on or didn't understand how to implement. But I think it's really being creative, right? It's finding those people who are creative, but who can take the technology and take it to a new ground, a new level that's going to be able to walk into the museum spaces or the music museum clients and say, Hey, look, this is what I've been able to do with this technology and using it in a new way that, uh, you know, we've never thought of before. And that's, you know, we, we're, we're just kind of used to the old way of doing things right now, unfortunately. You know, that's you a good know, point. Go ahead. Sorry. It's, it's interesting because, um, I really like that, that idea of being able to take that and bring it in even back with the AR and VR. If you think about museums, I've always been not necessarily, a fan of, for example, in higher ed doing AR and VR and all the R's um, because I think that content is always the toughest thing. It's easy to sell it to, you know, the donor on day one. Hey, let's put this big wall in and then no, everyone forgets you got to change the content and keep it going. But museums are in the business of content, right? And if we can now take our technologies and especially what you were just saying, Eugene, and, and be able to bring that in, um, and allow those people who are good at doing content um, to supplement our technologies. I mean, that just sounds like a win-win in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, and, I, I think, I think okay. though, um, along with that, we may need to start looking into uh, technologies that are being used in the, uh, uh, in the retail uh, market, right? Um, there are specialized ski, uh, shoe manufacturers that are implementing projectors that are projecting information onto their shoes, their bags. Uh, and I've seen that kind of technology working in the museums uh, very well. Um, and I think perhaps we need to start also looking at other avenues uh, because museums, it really is not about the technology. It's about the experience. And we have to find a way to remove part of the technology and offer more of the experience. And that's going to take a lot of creativity and a lot of exploring besides the look at the projectors, look at LCD, look at, you know, DVDs. I'm sorry, I hate to say, but I do see, <laughs> you know, some, uh, <laughs> some people are still using DVDs in their spaces. Eugene, at least you didn't say laser discs. That's all I want to say. All right. <laughs> all right. Um, look it up kids. It's, it's an old technology. It's the, it's, it's a big DVD just look it up, all right? Uh, our next uh, story comes to us from our buddy Craig McCormick and Commercial Integrator. Uh, Craig writes about Infocom Connected, which just happened last week. Uh, he uh, interviewed, he interviewed, good Lord, he interviewed uh, VIX's CEO, Dave Labuskas, about the lasting impact of a virtual show. Labuskas says you can look for Avixa to keep rolling out virtual events throughout the year. Uh, Mr. Grimes, I'm going to start with you on this. What do you think the lasting impact of Infocom connected and, and that virtual show is going to be on not just the industry, but also maybe even on the trade show industry. Well, I think, I think what it did, it was a, it was a great proof of concept. I thought it was very well produced. I thought it was very, 
Um, I, I personally didn't have any issues going in and out of sessions or anything like that. There may have been glitches and I'm sure some people, uh, you know, encountered things having been to a million Infocom shows. I know that things happen at the in-person show as well, but that said, I thought it was very smooth. I thought it was really well produced. I thought Freeman did an outstanding job. Obviously the Infocom crew did too. Um, so to me, it was, it was very much a proof of concept. Um, they hadn't done it before. We hadn't done something like that. And so, um, so that was great. Now, what it means for the future is obviously uh, now that we know how it works and what we can improve on something like that, you can do it in different ways. That said, I don't believe it's the no brainer that a lot of people are saying, well, well, geez, we've been asking for, you know, streamed, you know, sessions for years. Um, I don't think it means you flip the switch and now everything is suddenly streamed. I think what it did also show was what we were missing. I mean, a lot of what I heard coming out of Infocom Connected was, God, I wish this is great, but I wish we could see you all and I can't wait to see you all in person in Orlando. Um, you know, there is a lot uh, of that um, that goes into Infocom every year. A lot of it is just being around the people. And a lot of the trade show business is about the in-person stuff. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we want to go to someplace and see everything. Um, Infocom, you know, Avixa wants us to come there and all the exhibitors want us to come there too. And those are the ones that, you know, pay the bills and make it so that we can all gather once or several times a year if you go overseas. So it's not going to be suddenly like, okay, well, we're suddenly going to stream everything all the time. But I thought it was great that you could have an Asian program or you can have programs, uh, you know, for, for different parts of the world. So I think that there will be uh, having proven the concept and been able to really deliver it. And I thought it was very impressive. Um, it, it really just opens up a, a door of opportunities. They can find different kinds of hybrid approaches that will work, um, you know, different parts of this throughout the year, you know, get a taste of it. CES does it really well. They still do them in person. You have a sort of a pre-taste of CES in different markets. I mean, you know, they could do things like that. So um, I think it was, I think it was a great uh, proof of concept. They delivered. I think that they did a great job with it. Um, and there's just a lot of things that they can do with it. They, they, it's just another tool uh, in the toolbox for getting the industry together. Yeah, Eugene, uh, Brad mentioned the fact that, that there are other areas that they can cover. They did cover uh, pretty much the globe during uh, last week's uh, segments. They had folks that were on, you know, not quite 24-7, but certainly uh, outside of the United States' um, time zones. What other areas can Infocom or Avixa rather and other trade associations be able to cover with some of these virtual events or, or maybe even hybrid events? Well, you know, the sky is, the, is uh, really the the limit. And unfortunately, you know, people are dying from this COVID or uh, coronavirus, uh, you know, disease. But uh, what it has done is also allow us to explore uh, technologies uh, in a new way and to be able to uh, essentially use what we have or the means that we have in front of us to try to reach out to uh, as many people and or audience as much as possible. Now, let me just uh, take a step back just for a second. The Zoom, interesting enough, uh, my one of my partners got a call a long time ago before anyone knew what Zoom was. And uh, it was uh, from the CEO of Zoom trying to give us a demo of this new platform. Now, of course, we didn't know what Zoom was at that time. You were selling Cisco's and, pla and, and uh, Polycoms and what have not. So we weren't really the only interest we had or the only thing we knew 
as far as uh, soft-based conferencing was the, the Skype back then. And uh, not a lot of people were, were happy with it. But uh, years, you know, moving forward, years later, look, we're, we're in Zoom right now. So I think there's a lot of technologies out there and a lot of people to reach out to. And, and being digital just opens up uh, a whole new avenue to being able to reach out to people. And honestly, uh, uh, you know, when I first got my CTS, which was a long time ago, I looked at the, uh, you know, the C, the T and the S, Certified Technology Specialist. And we are in the business of technology. And this is, you know, giving us the opportunity to be able to use, uh, utilize technology, try to get to as many people uh, or outreach, you know, have this much larger out outreach uh, concept and a much bigger, you know, net to cast out to as many people as possible. And uh, so I, I think, you know, it's the sky's the limit. All right. Very good. I like that. I like that. Uh, Mr. Way, we'll wrap up here with you. What are, what are some of the strengths and both the strengths and the, and the weaknesses of an, an inherently virtual event or a virtual only event? You know, um, I want to say that I think they deserve huge kudos, you know, Infocom for pulling that off. And um, I will also say too, as co-founder of Hetma, we were virtual before it was cool. Okay. Uh, let's just, <laughs> let's get that out there. Um, but also the thing is though, what people aren't recognizing is for example, our Hetma conference the week before, Avixa, you know, partnered with us to bring the higher ed things that would have been at Infocom in person to our show and allow people to attend them there. Um, so they're doing a much bigger outreach than I think people are recognizing. This isn't just about those three days, but this is actually about uh, taking an entire industry and holding our hands through this time of COVID. They started with it when they, um, you know, opened up all the classes months ago for free. Holding this, I think to me, the, the advantage of, and Brad talked about it a little bit, um, what made Infocom Connected great was uh, the fact that there was a sense of normalcy for us to be able to go, I'm supposed to be at Infocom this week. I know I'm not there for in person, but I'm supposed to do have the Avixa logo put in front of my face every day. And that is what happened. And I think we all got a, okay, I'm back with my people. And that's the advantage, right? When you have a virtual conference, um, it's a little bit different than just you know, webinar after webinar after webinar, which really is what it is, but it's about pulling things together for a common purpose, you know? Um, and I think they did a great job of that. I think the outreach across the globe was unique. I was surprised to see that. And I know, you know, Tim, you've held your conference. We, I held mine. And the hardest part is the time zone thing. How do you make it fit for Amen, everybody? Brother. Right. And that was the downside, right? Um, and yet they seem to actually cover that well by having targeted uh, sessions at the time zone that was appropriate at the time or for the people were. And I think that's something that everyone can learn from. I think that Infocom, you know, like, like Brad mentioned, we've all been saying for years, you know, we can't all make it out to Infocom. When are they going to stream for us? Well, surprise, we, they got it streamed for us this year. Maybe there will be an opportunity to continue down the road even just in a, some hybrid fashion, uh, because I believe that it's already started to create the community we all actually go to the conferences for in the first place. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's going to, I think Joe's right. I, I think it's going to evolve. Uh, you know, it's not going to be, you, you know, you'll have it, you'll have the June thing and then there'll be an online. It's going to have to evolve because as, as they've proven it, lots of people are proving it too. 
I mean, there are, there are now conferences all, all, the, all over the place online. So um, content, cliche, is going to be king. I mean, it's going to, you're always going to have to have, it's going to be thought out. It's, again, it's not just a, hey, we've done it, we can do it, we'll just do it. Um, there's going to be more, there's going to have to be more targeted creative thought. I know that they've got a great team there that will look at it. Um, but working with, with Joe's group or some other groups to do different types of content at different kinds of times of uh, year, um, it's going to, you know, again, since they've proven it, that, that they can do it. Now the creative thinking, you know, starts. Absolutely. All right, guys. Uh, last story here comes to us from our friends over at AV Magazine. LG has entered the cinema display business almost two years after Samsung installed the very first Onyx in the U.S. in lower two and a half years uh, since they installed the first one ever in, uh, in South Korea. A theater in Taiwan has opened with a 14 by 7 meter LG Direct View LED. Eugene, this is the first, the second, rather, the second company to get into direct view LED for cinema. Is this where we're headed? What, what is the future of, of cinema display? Um, this is it. <laughs> this is it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this is it. Uh, there's no enough. question about it, right? Mm. Um, you know, we were just talking about old technology. I mean, this is this is it. Um, now, I, 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 I'm not quite op- as uh, optimistic about... Um, movie theaters and how long they'll be able to survive because honestly when was the last time you saw a commercial on tv for a new movie that was coming out in theaters right so i i got a feeling that this is the new norm and what i think this is 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 we may have they may have missed the boat already all right um where i see this more or less happening again going back to the previous story is the museums right uh is the I, I mean, the, the use case is, is limitless, right? We've been, um, we've been used to seeing lines on, on much larger displays, right? When you walk into a, a uh, I don't know, a, 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 you walk in to see a lecture or, or ha- what have you, you have lines in your image. I, think, I don't necessarily think this is the film, film industry is going to be the one to put this to use as much as everyone else. Right. Because I don't think the film industry or at least going to movie theaters is going to uh, honestly last uh, much longer than it has been in the previous years. All right. Joe, he, uh, Eugene set you up very nicely with mentioning the lecture halls. So is yeah. this where, you know, micro LED is, is headed and, and direct view LED is headed is the classroom is the big lecture halls. You know, it might be, I still think the price point is just way, way out of there. And the, the, you know, and the resolution, I, I don't know. I saw this story and I, am I the only person who thought what a miserable experience that would have to be to watch on a big led, like, okay. Hey, well, I don't hang know. On I, for a second. I, hey, hang on. I'm pause for a second. I have personally seen two movies uh, on Samsung's Onyx, right? Not on the LG uh-huh. one on Samsung's Onyx. Very, very impressive. Right, it's not a commercial. They ain't paying me nothing, but I've seen two separate movies on it, and very, very impressive uh, for the Samsung one. Again, I have not seen the LG one. Well, and and I think because all I do, I just picture pixels being seen. I don't know why, but I'm assuming that they can get good enough that that's not the case. Yeah. Um, but then I wonder what's the price point? Like you were saying, like can can movie theaters even survive now? Nonetheless, what it's going to cost to start b- putting those in, and that's why they haven't hit, uh, you know, our lecture halls yet. There are some spaces, and we, you know, there are um, 
there are a lot of, you know, really nice uh, higher ed locations that have these in their large lecture halls. I mean, Harvard, uh, HBX has it uh, for their business school. It's beautiful. Um, and again, the use case though is, you know, showing a bunch of Zoom people or PowerPoints. So I just wonder once you start going to, you know, really, really high definition, you know, uh, movies and what you want, I, that's where I just, I wonder about it. Um, but I'm going to take your word for it. I kind of want to see it, but I just think like, like getting a suntan at the same time. <laughs> there is one close to you. The, the first one I ever saw was in, was in LA. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll try to find you the, the, the theater. Um, the, yeah, that was the first one ever installed. The Samsung one. Again, I have not seen the LG one. Um, uh, the last one I saw, I watched uh, Ready Player One about a year ago. Uh, and the blacks, I mean, it, it goes back to the whole my, my love affair of plasma. Uh, blacks are black. I mean, that's the thing is you, you can't, when it comes to, to a, a reflective technology, you know, back to my, my CTS, uh, Eugene, my CTS test, uh, you can't get dark. You can't get the contrast there. And with a direct view LED, you really, really can. Yeah. Uh, very impressive. Um, Mr. Grimes, think, go ahead. I think that they, um, I remember, what, four or five years ago when Sony uh, had theirs on display. It was huge. It was one of the biggest one I've seen. And back then, the quality was, it was impressive. I don't think any manufacturer is going to take on that endeavor and not come out, you know, with something extraordinarily you know, superb. And, uh, and, and so it's just no way it's too costly, as you said, Joe, uh, to number one, sell it. And for you to actually manufacture it and have a, a crappy piece of product, I, I don't think anyone is going to be interested in doing that. Now, that being said, it is true. It is very expensive. And I don't think that the education, uh, uh, you know, the, the educational market is really where their uh, target is going to be, uh, or where they'll eventually land. Um, there are a lot of fintechs that are uh, that are very uh, excited about this kind of technology. Um, I, I mean, Google is not one of those, but you know, I, I would imagine that Google, Facebook, and a, and a bunch of other media companies would love to have this in their in their hands. But I, I agree. I don't. I think it's just way too expensive for the education market. And there, you know, but it, nonetheless, it really is a great technology. Unfortunately, with the film film industry or movie theaters, it's that book is closed. <laughs> Yeah, it, it does look, although here in the, you know, at least in the Midwest, uh, AMC is the big movie theater here uh, chain, and they are saying they're opening up sometime next month as of right now. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see where they go. Uh, I'm excited. Mr. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I'm no, I'm not we'll excited have... about AMC opening up. I'm excited. Yeah. I think this technology. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, you're, you're fine. Gonna, go ahead. You're going to loft the ball to me. No, yep. it's, it's, so this is a, so, so I say this, you know, again, with the disclaimer, things will get better and, you know, there will be a reason to go to movie theaters again. Um, there may not, maybe there won't be as many movie theaters. And so you'll have fewer movie theaters that need to have new experiences and draw more people. To me, this kind of technology, as Tim alluded to it, I mean, it's, it's like looking at an enormous television in your, you know, in your house, but this type of technology is going to need really smart AV people to make it, to make it work, to, to, un, to unearth the possibilities. I mean, let's see, if you don't need the projection room in the back, what do you want to do with that space, right? Maybe there's something else we can do. So you can social distance or whatever else you want to do in that space. Um, 
you don't need the lights out all the time, right? Because it's direct view LED. So what else can you do in that space? Sure, some people are going to sit there and, and, and watch the movie, but what else can you do in this big space um, with the lights on that will also attract people to the theater? Um, you know, the sound is different. You, you can't put the speakers behind the screen. So there's going to be need to be innovation and, and professionals who understand how sound reaches the ear to figure out how to optimize uh, that experience. So, um, you know, when, when, when Avixa first started doing some of their big IOTA market research, the, the analysts were really hot on this. Now, this was, of course, a few years ago before lots of things have happened. Um, but, um, you know, for me, it's just, it's sort of exciting. There's, this is like good modeling clay for our industry. What else can we do? All the post-production facilities, they're going to need, you know, direct view LED screens so that they can see their product before it goes into an LED theater. That's all business. So, sorry, I, I was a little, little pumped up there. Uh, I'm not actually <laughs> the person who has to deliver any of those, uh, solutions, but, um, but there's an opportunity here provided everything else that's going on in the world starts to come back and, and, you know, theater operators or next gen theater operators or next gen entertainment operators are looking for ways of attracting people to see, you know, great experiences on big screens. And Oh, by the way, in this corner, there's the bar and it's open the entire theater. It's open during the entire movie. And, over in this corner, there's, there's something else going on and you can mingle and you can go over here to watch the movie. So I just, sorry, I just think there's a lot of opportunity here um, with this technology. Yes, it needs to come down in price. Everything does. Um, when it will, hopefully it comes down in price, you know, hopefully all the things come together, it comes down in price. People start going out to movies. People start producing movies in these formats. Um, yeah, there's a, I think there's a good opportunity here for this industry. So, so Brad, I don't, I, I don't think you have anything to be apologized for, for what you just said. <laughs> what, what you were basically doing is opening up the door to what we are essentially talking about. And the yeah. common threat to all of these three topics is uh, innovation. Uh, and, uh, you know, we are in the business. We are technology people. And I do think that um, we do need to get involved in some aspects of uh, innovation. Um, I do think we've held on to the older technologies for far too long because you know what? The truth is it's our bread and butter, right? It's what we know to do and we can do it very well. A lot of us can do it with our eyes closed. But when I started out in the, um, in the uh, sound engineering, uh, you know, um, a field a long time ago, one of my first uh, teachers told me that, look, when, it start, when, when you start to get bored and it's no longer fun for you, you need to get out. Right. So part of what we are doing is fun. Right. And we got to have fun with what we're doing. Otherwise, you know, I mean, it's great. We feed our families, but, you know, it's no longer fun. And what you are describing is 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 fun. <laughs> right. You were excited because you were having fun expressing your ideas and new concepts. And how do we do this? How does this you know, change the, the real estate in the uh, you know, movie theaters? And what can we do with the, the uh, real estate now, you know, now left behind? So I do think, again, the common threat through all of this is innovation. How do we come back from this COVID? And how do we come back stronger? How do we, can we go back to the norm? Can we go back to the old technologies? Uh, you know, people have different experiences now. Those who were not, you know, used to staying home now have stayed home and they've seen things in different ways. Now they want more. So how do we give them the more? How do we 
you know, bring them into a new environment. I think these are the kind of conversations now that we are kind of, uh, you know, quiet a little bit, our minds are a little less, you know, uh, you know, quiet and we don't have projects that are on fire, fires to put out. Now we can kind of spend that time thinking about how do we come back, come back even stronger. And I think the it's, it's on us, right? We're the ones that, again, understand the technology, understand the clients, understand how they're used. How do we merge them all into a great experience? Yeah, oh, and, and what G- Eugene talked about there with, with the different, what do you do with the theater? The, the last one I saw uh, was, was Star Theater, um, Star Theater Grill, uh, Star Cinema Grill, Star Cinema Grill in Houston. And it was, it, there was a restaurant in the middle of it, but in the back where what, you, what should have been the projection room was actually the DSPs required to do just that, right? So this is where, you know, you, you put your, your heavy lifting uh, for the audio because Brad's right, you, you, you can't, there is no acoustically transparent direct view LED. Uh, so you have to play, you have to play a little bit of black magic with, with the audio uh, so it makes it sound like it's coming straight forward. So, all right, folks, that will do it for us. Thank you so much. Uh, Mr. Joe Way from USC, how do people find you? Uh, you can find me uh, on all the socials at Josiah Way and, of course, at Higher Ed AV and Hetma. And by the way, I did Google on that theater you talked about here in L.A., and uh, I have heard about it. So, And then I've heard great things about it. So next time you're out, we will go watch a movie there and get fried chicken. Next yep. time I'm out. Well, yeah, the, the, the fried chicken place is, is courtesy of Mark Cox. And what was it called? Buttermilk? Buttermilk, yeah. Buttermilk chicken. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's, it's something else. Yeah, if you're in Orange County, go go to it seriously. Uh, if they're open, so, uh, Mr. Grimes, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. And how do people get a hold of you if they are so inclined? Uh, if you want to find me, I, I I lurk on the Twitter at B Grimes DC. Um, hit me up there, and then you can find all all the other ways you can call me. All right, very good, Eugene. Thank you, sir. Thanks for for spending your Friday afternoon with us. No problem, Tim. It's uh, it was great to be here. All right. And how do people get a hold of you or our art media? Uh, you know, you can go on to uh, our website, uh, www.artmediacorp. All right. There is a, uh, an art media, but there's, I am not art media. I am art media corp as in corporation, uh, dot com. All right. Very good. Art media corp.com. Uh, for us, for me, uh, don't go follow me on the Twitters, uh, at this point. Uh, hockey's almost here, so we'll we'll see we'll we'll see whether or not it shows up. But go by the website if you would, please. Uh, our uh, our editor Lenora Lane and a bunch of really great folks uh, did a lot of work on the brand new site. So check that out, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You will find this program and a host of others, including our other weekly. Uh, Matt Scott takes a look at the residential side of the AV industry and a ton of monthlies, including our brand new uh, EdTech that actually just uh, just posted uh, today. So you check that out. Also, uh, sign up for the new newsletter. Again, Lenore is working on that. So check that out. You can, every Monday, she she gives you kind of the latest, uh, latest greatest uh, news and, and podcasts that we're doing. So check that out. Also, while you're there, check out our underwriters, our supporters. These are the folks who help us financially, help us bring you AV Week and Resi Week and all other good stuff. So all that and more at avnation.tv. It's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. Thank you.